Sprocket Systems. Distinctive by design. Baker 61, by David, design. take two. By design. Camera. By design. Marker. By design. And action. By design. Good afternoon, Sprocket. Sound design has always existed since we've had sound film. Let me transfer you to Ben Burton, Gary Summers. Someone has always been responsible for deciding what was going to be in the soundtrack. I mean, I think the main thing with sound design is that you start earlier in the project and you follow the project all the way through. That's really how sound design works. The term sound design started getting some years, um, perhaps five or six years ago, by people such as uh, myself and a few others who were doing both sound editing and mixing. The things we do are done on other films. We record sounds. So you had recording. We edit sounds. You had sound editing. We mix sounds. You had sound mixing, and there were three separate teams of people generally on films. The way we like to do it, and I think it's better this way, is that one person supervises the concept all the way through, or, or makes sure that the continuity continues. Sprocket Systems. Distinctive by design. Okay, folks, it's a wrap. Star Wars fans and Moof Milkers everywhere, welcome to episode number 136 of Blast Points is Jason. And it's Gabe. And yes, we are now in week number three of Return of the Jedi Month. It's kind of flying by. That's what Return of the Jedi does to you. It's, it's faster, it's more intense. So this week we're tackling one of the most important and most underrated aspects of Return of the Jedi, the sounds of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and if you don't have or have not seen the book The Sounds of Star Wars that came out in 2010, it's an amazing book just packed with Ben Burt goodness. It goes through what, all... Six films and some of the special edition stuff, some of the Clone Wars movie stuff, and it comes with, what, 200, over 200 sound effects from the movies? It's the craziest thing because, yeah, when the book came out, it's got a little speaker attached to it. And with a little LED screen on the side of it where you can pick 
like what sound you want to listen to because all the sounds in the book are numbered. It's the most ridiculous, insane book in the history of ridiculous, insane Star Wars books. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely towards the top. Well, and the the really cool thing too is because it's a Ben Burt book, and Ben Burt is Ben Burt. He made sure that they put a headphone jack on the sound thing so you can listen to it in headphones and actually hear the sound effects uh, pretty crystal clear compared to, you know, just coming out of a little speaker on the book. And all the text is by resident Star Wars maniac J.W. Rinsler. So everything's hardcore. Everything's factual. Everything's meticulously researched. And um, and it has pictures. So <laughs> it's got everything. Sounds, pictures, words. It's, it's like reading a movie. It's one of the best books that you can listen to while you're reading at the same time. Yeah. So let's just get right into it, and let's talk about this period of time, 1983, Ben Burt, and what they were doing, and why the the sound work for Return of the Jedi is really pretty unique and special, and like I was saying at the beginning, kind of underrated in its importance and the history of Star Wars and sound, which is a pretty amazing history just on its own. Yeah, because it's kind of like everything... We saw kind of behind the scenes with the prequel trilogy kind of started with Return of the Jedi. The The ranch didn't open until 87. For Jedi, they were still working under the name Sprocket Systems. Basically, what Sprocket Systems was, was just exactly the same thing that eventually became Skywalker Sound at Skywalker Ranch. It's like practice Skywalker Ranch where they had their own audio place. It just was still... They hadn't moved it up to the ranch yet. So for Star Wars, Ben Burt's job was he was kind of in charge of all the organic sounds and voices and all the other stuff like the sound editing, the dialogue cutting, the mixing was all done away from him, like in L.A., not not in San Francisco. Empire, he started taking on a little bit more responsibility where he did sound design and editing, but still the mixing was done elsewhere. And uh, that was the same with Rares of Lost Ark and more American Graffiti, which were also being worked on around that time. Now, Return of the Jedi was the real turning point where Lucasfilm had moved up north. And this time, Ben Burt did it all, including he was on set in the UK. He did re-recording in a building next door to ILM. And this was continued into... um, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and as it eventually evolved into the prequels, where he began being even more hands-on. Ben Burt began working on Return of the Jedi a full year and a half before uh, May of 83, when the movie came out. In this one, he really had an advantage, too, because he already had a huge back catalog from the previous two films he could pull from. And Raiders, they pulled a lot of stuff for Return of the Jedi from Rares of the Lost Ark. But being the crazy man that he is, he still recorded a lot of new stuff as well. We had done two other Star Wars films prior to this, and we had built up a library of spaceship sounds and laser gun sounds and certain types of things which were well established in the first two films. Uh, On the first film, we had about 200 different recording projects. That is, a project might be, let's create the sound for one particular vehicle, an X-Wing fighter. On Empire, there were just under a 1,000 recording projects. And on Jedi, uh, I've lost count. We, We actually have more tapes in the library now just as a result of this film than the other two and with him being on the set of return of the jedi he 
could kind of have control over things that he knew from experience on Star Wars and Empire that caused problems. Like he um, had actors wear padding on their feet to avoid footstep sounds. Some of the costumes had pouches in them for radio mics. Sets that were built in the UK were built with sound-absorbing material to deaden like echo sounds. He could do a lot of this stuff because Return of the Jedi was really kind of the first of the original trilogy where you got to think they went into it with a little bit of confidence that, okay, I think this one's going to make its money back. It didn't, it didn't get rough until later. <laughs> <laughs> the, the drama took its time to show up on, on Jedi compared to the other two. Well, you know, a, a good example of him being extremely hands-on was the whole scene with Luke and Leia on the balcony, like, do you remember your mother, your real mother? All kinds of sound. There was like smoke machines and all kinds of stuff going on. And it was a very, you know, like tender moment between Luke and Leia. And Ben Burt was actually holding the boom mic for that scene. I think he talks about that in the the commentary on the Blu-ray, like the second commentary. Yeah, he talks about it in the book, too, where it sounds like he got the opportunity to do the boom mic, but he didn't necessarily do a good job because the scene was so long and he wasn't at a good angle and he was just worried he was going to drop the mic on Carrie Fisher's head. Because <laughs> so I think they had to go back and, and uh, read ADR, the, uh, voc- the dialogue for that scene anyway, though. They should have just at the end of the boom mic just put like an Ewok on it. So it could be like Poplu dropping in. <laughs> Just put a sack on it. (laughs) Dropping it in. Goofy Ewoks dropping the sack again. Are you sure you boys weren't playing drop the sack? No. No, I mean, yes. I mean, uh, maybe just a little bit. So on Return of the Jedi, also, it was the first time he took on assistance. And he hired uh, Gary Summers, Gloria Borders, and Randy Tom. And Gary Summers went on to work on Jurassic Park and Avatar and Titanic. And Gloria Borders was for a while the general manager of Skywalker Sound. And Randy Tom does a ton of stuff for DreamWorks animation. They also had um, were being watched over by Tom Holman, who is the kind of the creator of the THX audio stuff. So Jedi was kind of a the first movie done in THX audio before there was THX audio. Yeah, there's a thing in here where they start talking about how they they start working on the sound mix in the middle of Return of the Jedi, the part where the Emperor gets off the shuttle and then worked their way out from that because for, they wanted the part where the Emperor gets off the shuttle to be the loudest part in the movie. So they wanted to make sure the Emperor was as exciting as he can be. It's like reading that, just like, man, I've thought about this a lot, and I wish there was like just a theater, like eight screens, and all they showed were the Star Wars movies. I think about that every other day. If you just wanted to go see Return of the Jedi in the theater, like on a random Wednesday night, all right, let's go to the, let's go to the Star Wars theater. I know they're playing it. Yeah, I think I would, I would rather have that than the streaming channel, I think. Just give me a, a Lucasfilm theater. <laughs> on my birthday, I'd be like, give me a ticket for everything. Yeah, even if it was just one screen, they could just show all the movies over in like just one after another on constant loop till the end of time. I'm going to have donuts delivered here at 2 p.m. FYI. 
It's like a movie buffet. You just pay like 25 bucks and you can sit in there as long as you can stand it. How much can you take? I'm two days in. I got to stay awake for The Last Jedi. So in addition to all of his added responsibilities, Ben Burt being a true maniac, a new responsibility he really took on with Return of the Jedi was expanding the languages, which is something he also he did a lot more in the prequels, where Return of the Jedi really goes nuts with the Huttese. Originally, just to make sense for the actors and the director to evaluate what they were doing, the entire scenes were played in English. And then later on, our job was to substitute in Huttese, this imaginary language, for 3PO and for Jabba the Hutt. And to you have both the te- technical problem of making it synchronized with the mouth movements of Jabba, as well as and the, the more important problem of dealing with it dramatically, making it a convincing performance that had a consistent character. Welcome our mercenary friend and ask his price for the Wookiee. Ah, yes, So another way that Return of the Jedi and Ben Burt's role in it kind of reflected what was to come later in the prequels is Ben Burt It says in the book, as he found that the increased pace of editing in Jedi added another layer to the complexity of his job. The challenge for sound editing and sound design is always to relate how many cuts there are in the movie and how rapidly it goes from shot to shot. Essentially, whenever there's a cut in the movie, there's perhaps a necessity to change the sound, introduce a new sound, or modify another one in the same rate that you're seeing the imagery change. You know, that goes hand in hand with how he got way more involved in the editing of the prequels. Right, where because of changes to the sound, he needed to change the visuals to match the sound or the other way around. It kind of, yeah, because I remember the first time seeing that Ben Burt was an editor on those movies. It kind of was like, wow, that's kind of odd to go from audio into video editing. But then hearing Ben Burt kind of explain it, it, it makes perfect sense where the audio has to change to match the visuals, but just as many times you want to change the visuals to match the audio. And it, it goes hand in hand with the whole, the vision of Skywalker Ranch, where you have all these filmmakers in the same building working together, everything kind of informing what each other are doing. The sound influences the editing and vice versa and the effects and it's all happening simultaneously. And he even, on Return of the Jedi, even worked with John Williams. What did he say? John Williams was almost kind of directing the mix of the audio of when it should get louder and when it should get softer, almost like he was conducting the orchestra. And like we were saying, too, this really is the beginning of him taking on a bigger role in all these things happening simultaneously. When he was watching the dailies with Lucas, Ben Burt suggested the whole concept of seeing Vader's skull as he's hit by the lightning from Palpatine. Yeah, I guess that's a good example of like something from the audio, like, you know, hearing the electricity, like, well, maybe we should see it, too, kind of thing, so... It's interesting to go back and kind of see the progression from Ben Bird just being hired to come up with wacky sound effects to kind of being a uh, 
pretty important collaborator with Lucas on the prequels. Where would we be in life without those flashes of Vader's skull? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Years of our lives thinking about what part of Vader is what, like what's a machine and what's a man based on those couple uh, frames of skeleton. Well, and even Vader's uh, final breaths were, as we'll get into later when we start going into the sound, but where those were some of the first that Ben Burt recorded for A New Hope. At the time, you know, they thought it was going to be the last Star Wars movie for a long time, and they kind of reached the peak of their powers with Return of the Jedi, with what was possible with sound design and sound mixing and all being done in-house. Return of the Jedi was nominated for Best Sound Effects Editing and Best Sound at the Academy Awards, but did not win at the Academy Awards. They lost to The Right Stuff which makes no sense. And I like the right stuff. But is there a podcast right now doing an episode about the sounds of the right stuff? No. But if there is, I'll listen to it. Yeah, there, there probably is somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so much drama. Right stuff podcasts. Too much drama for me. I go on sometimes and I look at what's going on with the right stuff podcast on Twitter and I'm like, I can't handle this drama. I'm getting off. Don't we all just love the right stuff? <laughs> We need to get back to what we love, people. But Return of the Jedi is a masterpiece of sound. I mean, Jabba, the Ewoks, the speeder bike chase, the Sarlacc, Nine Numb. But kind of like all the Star Wars movies... You don't notice those sounds when you're watching it. You're too into what's going on. You're too into the speeder bike chase. And I don't blame anyone to even notice the amazing sweet sounds that are going on in that thing. So let's get into it. Let's dig in to 37 of the most memorable sounds in Return of the Jedi. So number one we have here is the talking robot eye from Jabba's door. I didn't know it had a name, but it's called, what, TT8L? I love that droid so much. It's like Return of the Jedi lets you know what you're in for right away. You got a laughing eyeball droid. It's like, oh, it's R2 and 3PO. Okay, I'm ready for this. No. An eyeball is going to come out of a wall and start talking to you. In the book, too, it talks about how George learned some Hatties and wrote a little bit into the script. I can only imagine. Wanna, wanna watch it true. So maybe somewhere there's some Linda Ronsat demos with Lucas singing in Hatties <laughs> <laughs> buried in her vaults. Why can't we get a door, but it's a puppet that you could work from inside your house? Like if somebody comes to your door trying to sell you windows or something, you could just have this the seeing eye droid come out of your your door. Where's the eyeball droid that you can put on your front door door with a webcam and a microphone in it? <laughs> Sphero needs to get on that instead of making little droids to roll around. It's the right shape, right? They can make a Sphero gatekeeper droid that you stick on your front door and control it with your phone. I'm ready to just carry one around all the time and just have people talk to that instead of me. Stick it on your chest. So what's our next sound? So the next sound is Jabba's palace door opening. Which that one's interesting because they, Ben Burt actually 
did this one ahead of time. It basically, as soon as he read the script, he was like, oh, there's a big door. It says he remembered there was an old ammunition storeroom up in a tunnel out in San Francisco area with a large old uh, iron door. So he went out and recorded that basically before they'd even filmed anything and kind of did a rough pass on it. That's the beauty of Ben Burt, where they're like, Jabba's palace is going to have a giant door. I remember an iron door to an ammunition storeroom. <laughs> I got a couple hours to kill. Let's drive up and record the giant door. That is kind of part of the, the genius or madness of Ben Burt that I think you'll hear popping up in more of these things. Like he's definitely like he always has a recorder with him and he doesn't hesitate to record anything and everything anywhere he is whenever he's there. If he hears something that interests him. And I got to think that that's a good part of his success is just being at the right place at the right time and having the discipline, I think, to whip out that recorder, even if it's inconvenient, and get and get that stuff on tape. I can only imagine the Burt family home Christmas morning trying to have a moment. He comes down with a big old boom mic. Let me get that wrapping paper sound. You can't ever win an argument with him because he's like, don't make me get the tapes out. So our next one is uh, Jabba the Hutt talking. Ooh. <laughs> Back to uh, everyone's favorite Sydney Green Street. <laughs> the secret of Return of the Jedi. But again, with, with any of the, the Huttese people, Ben brought in uh, Larry Ward to help out, who, was, uh, who helped him with the original Huttese stuff with uh, Greedo way back in the original movie. And who also was the voice of the eyeball door droid. And the actual voice of Jabba. Not, he didn't just help uh, coming up with the language and words. He has actually the voice of Jabba. Or pitch shifted as low as possible. <laughs> One of my favorite parts is he mixed it with the sound of Mrs. Ben Burt's macaroni and cheese being sloshed around in a bowl. And it either ruins Jabba or makes him that much better depending on uh, how you take it that you're hearing mac and cheese every time he speaks. Mrs. Burt probably spent all that time making some delicious mac and cheese. He just starts manhandling it with his fingers. Honey, how does it taste? I don't know. I didn't even try it yet. I'm too busy recording it. It sounds like a giant slug talking. <laughs> so the other really cool thing with Jabba, and I think we, we've talked about him a little bit back, oh, way back on our favorite Monsters episode, I think. The amazing, the Hammerman, Howie Hammerman, who's famous for making belch and burp noises, was brought in to uh, do uh, Jabba's burp. <laughs> Now, it talks about in here how his, he was hurt. He was working on Alien in 79. I can't think of any burp sounds in Alien. Unless it's just like random sounds of the alien. Maybe. Or like the egg opening or something. Maybe. Or the, the chest burster scene, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or just all the scenes with Ripley burping. <laughs> Those are my favorite parts. <laughs> Every time someone on the crew asks her a question, she just responds with a disgusting belch. I've got access to Mother now, and I'll get my own answers. Thank you. I don't know why Howie Hammerman is not at celebrations, burping on stage. Instead of an autograph, you just pay him 20 bucks to hear the Jabba burp. Still time. Celebration Chicago. <laughs> you pay him $250, and he just burps your name. <laughs> 
<laughs> get a little flash flash drive with it on it. Well, up next is one of my favorites in all of Return of the Jedi, 99, the interrogator droid. Ah, good. New acquisitions. You are a protocol droid, are you not? And probably the most amazing thing about that droid, other than him just being an amazing droid, is that is none other than director Richard Marquand as the voice. Splendid. (laughs) Which really kind of, I think, makes him the biggest superstar of all the Star Wars directors, right? Because Lucas didn't record any audio for the movies, did he? I mean, he was the inspiration for for Grievous's cough. And then Kirshner wasn't voicing any aliens, right? Unfortunately, he should have, though. Because if you've ever listened to Irvin Kirshner's commentary for The Empire Strikes Back, it's pretty remarkable. R2-D2 on his tippy toes. Tippy toes. But what, J.J. is kind of in the background of uh, Jabba Flow. You're right. He did, yeah, he did sing some backing vocals in Jabba Flow. Gareth Edwards cameoed in Last Jedi, and Ryan Johnson, blink if you miss him, was in uh, Rogue One. But Ryan Johnson should be voicing droids. That's all I know. Maybe he'll do all the voices for his trilogy. (laughs) Maybe Ryan Johnson's trilogy is all about droids. I wouldn't be surprised. And maybe it's, you know... Eddie Murphy movie and Ryan Johnson's going to write, direct, and star in all the roles and do all the voices. <laughs> I'm ready to go. It's going to be incredible. Um, and ben Burt is the um, the screaming uh, torture droid. <laughs> Which kind of makes Solo seem even that more disturbing because according to Ben Burt, Ben says, uh, do robots feel pain? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think L3, she felt everything. <laughs> Poor L3. Well, up next, another real highlight of the film. Boosh. 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 Yoto. Yoto. Hey, Yoto. Yato. Chuck. Ziba. Ducho. Now, this is one of the greatest stories of all of Return of the Jedi. How... Ben Burt discovered the amazing Pat Welsh. Yeah, in true Ben Burt fashion, he walked down the street. I think where he was going to, uh, he went to a photo store to purchase some film. And as he's standing in line to pay, he hears this amazing voice, this deep, gravelly voice. He can't tell if it's a man or a woman, young or old. And after basically tracking down who the voice is, he follows this woman out of the store. And immediately asks her if she wants to be an alien. And she immediately says, sure. A young man came over to me and introduced himself and said, did I always speak in that low voice? And I said, yes, it's the only voice I have. I wouldn't say he was just a taskmaster. I would say he was a perfectionist. And wasn't Pat Welsh also one of the voices for E.T.? She's like the main voice for E.T., isn't she? Whenever he speaks English. E.T., 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 good. So, like, E.T. phone home is the same voice as Boosh. That's the Ben Burt magic, right? You think it's this crazy, cooked-up-in-a-lab, processed voice, but he just found a lady at the photo store who already was halfway there to the sounds he was looking for and just started from that. If, if only she was still alive to go on a victory tour with Hammerman, the Gravel and Burp tour. Up next, we have the thermal detonator. And this one's fun because in addition to the kind of beeping and things, there's little gear motory sounds. 
that are none other than Jabba the Hutt puppets animatronic eyeballs. So just like George Lucas can't help but ride on top of things, Ben Burt can't help but crawl inside of things and record the sounds they make. A couple weeks ago, we spent a whole episode talking about classic creatures, and I think we talked about like Mike Edmonds and the people inside the suit for 45 minutes. There's all that footage. It was a tight squeeze in there. How did he get his recording equipment inside that Jabba thing? In the book here, Ben Burt says, uh, guess where you crawled in? And it wasn't through the mouth. <laughs> yeah, somehow he, uh, I don't know. It's like he's standing on set and he's looking at that giant Jabba puppet and he's like, I got to get in there and record some stuff. I know it's going to be incredible in there. (laughs) No, and it sounds like he used those eyeball sounds uh, for some of the motors in the Falcon cockpit and the Imperial shuttle. He got a a lot of mileage out of Jabba's eyes. And next we have uh, everyone's favorite palace guardian, the Gamorrean guard. Who, surprise, surprise, their voices are a squealing baby pig. I never would have guessed it. Uh, up next, we have Salacious Crumb. <laughs> so with this, it sounds like Ben Burt had a habit of just kind of soliciting the crew with random things. Hey, who can sound like an alien? Or I guess they had an event called Death Scream Day where everybody just came in and, scre- and screamed like they were dying. Out of one of those things, they came across uh, an ILM employee by the name of Mark Dodson who had a really funny hyena-like laugh. So he recorded him, and that was kind of the basis of the salacious crumb giggle. Also, Death Scream Day is my favorite grindcore band. <laughs> yeah. If they did that today, you know, some guy would have came in there. Oh, ben Burt would have recorded his hair twirling. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really good stuff. You can hear the little wisps. Up next is Han Solo defrosting, which th- this is an intense sound. is a neat one too because this is another just you would have never guessed it things where ben's wife was pregnant at the time and he was at the doc they were at the doctor's office doing the ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat of the baby and he <laughs> ben birded it up and was like hey do you mind if i plug in a microphone and record that sound i gotta get it that's this is good stuff yeah not only was it in hansel's defrosting but it was when the pod people in the fantastic invasion of the body snatchers remake when the pod people were coming to life you heard it in that too i rewatched that invasion of the body snatchers remake which is an amazing movie like a few years back i was shocked at the end when it was like sound designed by ben burt i was like what yeah i don't think i realized that he did the sound of that like that's not something you just think of oh yeah it's a ben burt movie up next we got the rancor growls Ooh. <laughs> Oh, this one's such a good one, too, that, you know, the Ranker's a big, giant beast, and its sound is based on his neighbor's dachshund. 
which is about as far from a rancor as you can get. A little dog named Max growled and hissed and actually bit his owner's face. You can hear all that rage <laughs> and the rancor scream. Now, is the, the, the rancor death squeak? I wonder if that's the Max, the, the vicious, nasty dog, too. <laughs> they recorded him when they had to put him down after biting everybody. <laughs> oh. Ben was there with his microphone. Gotta get the sounds. It's gonna sound so real. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think any dogs were really harmed in the recording of the Rancor. Up next, we've got Luke's Bounce. What's the deal with Luke's Bounce? This one's funny because like when you whenever I watch the movie, it just sounds like it should sound, but hearing it kind of isolated, it's very kind of cartoony and goofy sounding because and it's totally old school. He basically did the old put a ruler on a table and pull the ruler trick to kind of get that bouncy, springy sound and mixed in kind of a clang from a, a mortar shell getting dropped in to the launcher, but it really kind of just sounds like a slot machine. I'm usually sweating so hard during that entire scene that I can't hear anything. There's too much sweat in my ears. As soon as we get to the sail barge part in Jedi. But it's like, it's one of those things. It's like the, that is just such an outrageous, intense moment in the movie. The fact that the sound is so over the top and outrageous, it just, it, it goes together like peanut butter and jelly. It's that's, that's Star Wars magic right there. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have a new sound, like we were saying in the beginning, that was based off an old sound, where we have the sound of lightsaber deflecting. Before Return of the Jedi, we never saw a lightsaber deflecting a laser blast, unless you count the training droid in A New Hope. That doesn't really count. kind of counts. That's a training remote blast, though. A training remote blast isn't going to kill you. Yeah, it's definitely not as cool. Yeah, no one shoots at Luke with a saber out in Empire. Return of the Jedi, man, right from the right from the beginning. Blowing your mind. <laughs> All right. Up next, we've got Sarlacc sounds. Ooh. <laughs> and it's it's got a mouth. It's kind of burpy. Who do you think he called? It's hammer time. Good old Howie Hammerman. Got some more burps. It's funny to read all this stuff because they make it seem like that Howie Hammerman like was just always working on Alien. Like they had so much, they needed so many burp sounds that he's just like always working on Alien. Whenever Ben Burt needs burps, he's like, just I got to head over to the Alien set again and see if they can let me borrow Howie for the day. Which is great because Alien came out in 1979. Three years after Alien came out, they're still working on burps for Alien somehow. Yeah. I'm I'm not here to argue this. They're, that's why they got to keep making alien movies. It's like that's where Prometheus and uh, Covenant came from. They still had like 75 burp sound effects to use. We can't stop making these movies until we use up all these burps. Oh, <laughs> uh, up next, Boba Fett's jetpack. This is like the, the the Luke bounce. It's almost kind of cartoony. Which is interesting because this was, of, of all the sounds, seems to be the most kind of recording of the real thing it is. Like, it isn't like he recorded dropping his keys into the gutter or something. Like, he recorded some, some actual missiles taking off. Sometimes the real thing actually works. 
Up next, the sail barge explosion. So this one is fun because in addition to just explosion-y sounds, they mention in the book that there was an old house that was going to be demolished in uh, Penaluma, California. And they basically let Ben Burton and his crew go down and smash anything that was in the house. It was still furnished. It still had all the appliances. And they basically spent a day trashing this house and recording the sounds for all of it. Don't you wish there was video footage of that still? <laughs> yes. <laughs> ben Burton gone wild, destroying a house. Why didn't they have a camera crew? And who knows how much of that house destroying in Petaluma, what else we've heard that in. I don't know. Because that's kind of one of the fun things going through here, too, is it's kind of like you think that a lot of these sounds would be exclusives to Star Wars, but it's kind of like once they're in the library, they kind of creep into other things. Kind of jumping ahead, but they mention later on when you get to the just kind of ambient Endor sounds that those have ended up in other movies. It sounds like they use some of the ambient Endor sounds even in the TV show Lost. Wow. Ben Burt's like a rash. <laughs> Once you catch it, it gets everywhere. He's like sand. He's rough. He's irritating. <laughs> he gets everywhere. Up next, uh, I like that they call it in the book, Hissing the Emperor. And this is one, this is a cool, like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, where this was just the actual sound that was on the set. And Ben Burt was there like a maniac with a microphone recording it. And the loudest part of the movie is just hissing. (laughs) Oh, it's such a good part. I love that part in the movie, just how the Empire goes all out because the boss is coming. Such a good introduction to to the real in the flesh Emperor. Now, up next, this is a major moment. The death of Yoda, thunder. Fascinating story. What the heck is going on with the thunder during the death? Because you would think, oh, Ben Burt just recorded thunder. No big deal. Of course it's a big deal because it's Ben Burt. Yeah, it's not enough to just go into the archives or the library, audio library and get some thunder. No, what does he do? He sees a segment on the Today Show about a young blind man who's obsessed with recording thunderstorms. Burt managed to track him down, gets him to let him borrow his tapes of thunderstorms. The guy's name was Tad Staples, lived in Indiana. He said he would send Ben Burt once a year just a compilation of Thunder recordings he made. So according to the when the book came out, Tad lives in Tampa, Florida, still to this day, where there's a lot more thunderstorms. So somewhere, hopefully, Tad Staples is still recording this thunder, and I hope he's still sending them to Ben Burt. The high point of the year for Ben is checking the mail. Oh, my, my thunder tapes are here. Yeah, there's the the ambient indoor forest sounds. Which I don't know why they don't make like uh you know, like the little baby soothing sound machines. Why there's not just like an endor button that you push, like with a little picture of an Ewok to get a baby to fall asleep. They could do that for all the planets. Oh. Like, you could have Baru's Kitchen just playing. You could have Endor 
You could have Hoth, Dagobah, Millennium Falcon sounds, Bakta Tank sounds. That's the only way I want to go to sleep. It's Thursday. It's Bakta Tank night. Can't sleep. Let me put on Brew's food processor. So next we're getting into some real good stuff. The speaker, the speeder bike chase. It goes rapid fire where it goes speeder bike startup. Speeder bike flyby. My personal favorite speeder bike changing gears. Biker Scout hitting tree and speeder bike explosion. They're very quick, but this is a masterpiece in sound. All these speeder bike sounds. The first problem that comes to mind is you want to say, well, what will emotionally affect the audience the most intensely? Uh, You want to relate these sounds to something that's familiar to them in everyday life. So that you want a little bit of jet plane in there, perhaps. You may want a little bit of a racing car. Because you want to bring out the sense of speed, the sense of danger, the sense that the air is whizzing by people's faces. For instance, the pass-bys of these flying... This kind of material here, it's basically a combination of World War II fighter aircraft. Now, when the guys shift gears, you hear a funny sort of whining sound as they shift gears. I was in England during the filming of the picture, and I was at my desk in the office, and I heard a funny sound outside, just an unusual sort of musical sort of sound, a little bit like a laser gun. And I said, what's that? And I looked out, and there was a guy out in the street with an air hammer, and it had jammed, and it had a strange kind of a sound. We also went out and we took a lot of metal debris, old cans and boxes and pieces of wood, and threw them up in the air, and they came down through tree branches, breaking the branches as they went and sort of bouncing about. And that gave a kind of snapping and uh, crackling sensation. When it's all put together, the result is seamless and exhilarating. I always like, like that would always show up on Rebels anytime they were ever on some sort of speeder bike. And I was just like, oh. Oh, and this is actually, we're forgetting to mention too, that the speeder bike chase was kind of the beginning of something that was in the three prequel films was kind of the Ben Burt sound effect spectacular, a segment in the film where the music backs out and there's not really dialogue and it's just Ben Burt's sound effects kind of front and center a symphony of sound yeah it's almost like the speeder bike chase is a precursor to the pod race in that way the pod race and the asteroid chase and clones coming up next we've got some solid gold sounds ewoks talking if only they they still had 900 one 900 numbers and you could just call like one 900 ewok talk <laughs> just listen to ewoks talking to you maybe you could ask him your horoscope or something and it's just Dating advice? Mm-hmm. Should I ask Judy to the prom? But the Ewok stuff is another cool behind-the-scenes story of uh, they were looking for exotic languages, and to kind of make it more realistic, they were kind of looking at existing Earth languages, and they found a uh, 80-year-old Mongolian woman. Yeah, didn't they nickname her Grandma Vodka? Similar to his discovery of Pat Welsh, he stumbled across this woman, this 80-year-old 
Mongolian woman. Um, apparently, she was very friendly as long as they kept her f- filled with vodka. And they started just to refer to her as Grandma Vodka. The more vodka you give her, the better the Ewok joy. You know, that's that's just the way it goes. Um, it's You started out by recording people that spoke Tibetan, mostly old ladies. And... Uh, then developing, taking, sort of stealing words from Tibetan and uh, Nepalese and Kalmuk, all languages from that part of the world. Well, I was looking for something that was exotic. You always look for a real language, as I do, because it has the reality behind it. If you tend to make up a language, you tend to make up a language just based on the sounds in English. You don't tend to think, at least it's harder for me to imagine sounds that I don't use every day. So. Instead of having sort of a mumbo-jumbo English language, it's easier to listen to some other language first and get inspired by it, and essentially do sort of a pigeon version of it, you know, sort of a double-talk version of it. And uh, that's always what's been done with, you know, Hatties and Iwakis, is to pick, find a basic language that was... It's a real language, has all those aspects of reality about it. It has lots of information and repeats certain... There's a structure to it that repeats naturally and all that. It's easier to do that, sort of start with that basis, than to invent something on a, on a, you know, from scratch. So, I suppose that's why it sounds real, because it is based on reality. Yeah, well, it's important that the, you, you, you can sense a culture behind it. You know, uh, the average person spends their whole life listening to language, and you become very good at drawing an immediate sort of, uh, you know, portrait of reality, or you make a lot of judgments based on what a person says to you and how they say it, and, and uh, so the average person, you have to have something pretty real to convince them it, it sounds real. So keeping with the Ewok thing going, the next one is uh, C-3PO's fireside chat. Princess Leia was a what my artu. Us, batata rondi, Darth Vader. And Chenko Vaskimo Kiatumdi Death Star. Which, this is such a cool part. I think the more I see this scene, every time I watch Return of the Jedi now, it grows. It was always a cool scene, but I don't know. I love it more and more. It's like the previously on Star Wars segment, but it's just such a cool way to recap the previous two movies. I would like to see the complete unedited version where maybe 3PO does the prequels too. He had his mind wiped, but, you know, he could figure it out for the most part. Maybe R2 does that part. (laughs) Nobody understands it. R2's just rolling around beeping, trying to act it all out. Just holograms of of Gungans. He just keeps playing clips of CO Bibble. (laughs) It's outrageous. No, yeah, it is such a cool part. And was it in the book they talk about how they mixed in, you know, the sound effects into 3PO talking, like the AT-AT walker sound and how some of the Ewok language stuff, 3PO was saying that um, Anthony Daniels has kind of ad-libbed a little bit of it and it sounded good and they just stuck with it. Well, and also for the reaction sounds of the Ewoks that, they went out into the into the forest and recorded those actually in a real forest. So when they mixed in that with the studio recorded stuff, it still kind of gave it more of a natural sound, like they're really in a in a real in a real forest listening to a robot talk, basically. Up next, nine numb dialogue. Ooh. <laughs> 
tabiotin ongeto ko empichun yuni nimuti bichu mi komasin kwaraboni iwe komasin agiologo komasin welomi ingen yomi inene rektor goleni kotorogo konyapwa bicho eh oso ko epkoi metyo mi yuni where is 1800 num dialogue 1900 <laughs> now this one i think is potentially the most fun of the alien dialogues because basically through his uh, relationship with Pat Welsh, she led Bert to a college exchange student she knew named Kipsang Rotik, who was from Kenya, which it's just bizarre that the random lady that Ben Bert found, who sounds like an alien, happened to know a Kenyan exchange student. But he was the basis for Ninam. And just because of time and because they liked the way they sounded, some of the dialogue for Ninam is actually just straight from his native language of, uh, I think it's called Haya. (laughs) They kind of didn't think anyone would notice. But surprise, um, when the film played in uh, Nairobi, audiences were thrilled to hear their own language in Star Wars. So, And uh, Kip Sang became a celebrity in his country and made the rounds of the local talk shows. And then in Force Awakens, they found that actor again, Somehow they tracked him down. I think it was Matt Wood tracked him down and recorded him again for episode seven. And there's a yeah, there's a big whole article on um, on StarWars.com about it, and we'll post that in our show notes about the hunt for Nine Numb for Force Awakens. He's still there for nine, so maybe he'll have the most dialogue he's ever had because it is episode nine Numb. So, mm-hmm. so next we have Ewoks in battle. <laughs> This one is crazy because this is all Ben Burt. Every single sound is Ben Burt, multiplied, laid on top of each other. All the Ewok and battle sounds are just Ben Burt. <laughs> so our uh, all Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson trilogy is not too unrealistic because if Ben Burt can do it, Ryan Johnson can do it too. Up next, we have an Ewok on a glider. Ben Burt, the Hammerman, and Andy Aaron went out to Calistoga in a super, super hot day, and they actually went on a hang glider, and Aaron threw up. But before he threw up, Bert got his sound of an actual hang glider. He was probably mad he didn't get the throwing up recorded. <laughs> I'm sure he's got plenty of puking somewhere in a, in a file. That's the post-mac and cheese sounds. <laughs> so the next one is another super, super Return of the Jedi treat. The Tarzan Chewy yell. It sounds like they did it like you would think. They just they spliced together different pitches of uh, chewy chewy sound effects. <laughs> yeah, and that it kind of started as a joke. And it's like when you listen to it, especially just the raw file of it, you can kind of kind of tell that it's just kind of cut together. I just kept thinking, how long did that take? Days, weeks. It's worth every minute. And I, I like the quote in the book, book too, where Bert says it was never really heard very clearly in the final mix. <laughs> I hear it pretty clearly every time, but you know, you know, we did a whole episode about the mono mix and the twenty-seven thousand different sound mixes of A New Hope. So who knows when Return of the Jedi first came out? It could have been buried deeper, for all we know. Maybe that was the first thing when they did the. Uh... VHS and DVD mixes. Ben Burt was like, we got to get that Tarzan scream louder. I can never hear it. Crank it up. 
So we got the chicken walker walk cycle. And then the chicken walker falling down. Just a general sound of the emperor's voice, because why not? Now, young Skywalker, you will die. It's, it's still one of the best sound effects in Return of the Jedi. It's just the emperor talking. It's so good. It's so good. I'm, I, you know, in the book, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't include, Oh, I'm afraid, when he starts singing, the deflector shield. They, they know people couldn't handle it. Or someday they're going to release a book and that's the only file, the only sound it has. It's just the, the Emperor singing book. I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive. I'd like to think that Palpatine, when he's not being Emperor, he, he was recording his album. That was his dream project. That room he was in in the chair wasn't really like a any sort of temple it was actually his uh recording studio he liked the way the uh reverb was in there and he would go up there to write songs <laughs> singing about the deflector shield it'll be quite operational yeah uh up next the emperor's lightning bolts now this is a crazy story yeah and a long line of crazy stories this is another one. These aren't just lightning bolt sounds. These are sounds from Ken Strickfadden, who basically built all the equipment for the original Frankenstein movie. All the equipment with the electrical stuff on it, which I guess Ben Burt had been trying to get a hold of recordings of those forever. He tried to get a hold of them when Star Wars came out and the guy was just like, whatever, he's old. He just... He didn't know who Ben Burt was. He didn't want anything to do with them. After Empire was almost done, he contacted them again. He was like, I don't know you. I know I don't know what this Star Wars nonsense is. He didn't want to deal with them either. But it sounds like Ben Burt got a hold of him again and, and said, Okay, I'm going to watch Empire in 70 millimeter tonight. Come with me. And he said, Okay. <laughs> and after he saw the movie, he was blown away by the movie, by the sounds, and was super excited to let Ben record anything and everything. And they went back to his house where he still had all that old equipment from the Frankenstein movie. And sounds like basically late into the night, they just went crazy and recorded all of that. It was like the sound of like uh, electric currents traveling between two things. And I, that was also used in uh rears of lost Ark when the Ark shot the wrath of God power out on uh, all the Nazi troops. But I do like the part where they're saying, because basically uh, his assistant, Gloria Borders, it was her job to to edit together all the electrical sounds for the Emperor. And it, and it sounds like she basically used all the sounds they had in the library and cut all of them into that scene. Why not? It's the ultimate. The ultimate electricity scene. So the next one is another one where they just threw everything in there. It's the death of the Emperor. <laughs> So when the emperor falls and he lets that scream, they're saying there's also a tuneful thing of shrieks, rumbles, and squeals, which in fact came from pigs. And there are another element from raiders. Same elements used as the uh, the ghosts floating around. 
I don't know. I always really like that thing when like the emperor goes down. That's a part in Return of the Jedi where like it combines with John Williams music because there's it's like the chorus that almost sounds like someone's dying in the chorus at that moment. Like, you don't quite know what you're hearing, but you know, it's weird. So closing out the sounds return the Jedi, we have the Ewok Freedom Song. Which closes out every single episode of the show, but this is like a, a raw, pure version of the immortal Yubnub. They actually brought in a real choir, the uh, Oakland Inspirational Choir. And the quote in here is, the ultimate Ewok experience was the performance of the London Symphony Orchestra with the Oakland Inspirational Choir singing the Ewok Freedom Song at the end of the movie. (laughs) And he says, I couldn't help but laugh when I heard what had started with raspy old grandma vodka coming back to me as the finest vocal sonorities that all Britannia could muster. Oh, yub nub forever. Ewoks and their fine culture of singing. And magic soap. Return of the Jedi is a masterpiece of sound. It's a masterpiece on every level, but the sound is an integral part of the awesomeness that is Return of the Jedi. Yeah, next time you're watching Return of the Jedi, it's hard to do, but make an attempt. You know, close your eyes for a minute or just try to focus on the sounds coming out of your speakers so you can really soak it in. Just all the all the goodness. social media to send in reasons why you folks out there love return the jedi and we've gotten a bunch of fantastic messages in and let's play a few of them real quick and let's hear what you folks have to say why you love return the jedi hi jason and gabe my name is chloe from saratoga springs new york you may remember me as the fan of the week um and i called in about solo and my questions which, by the way, turned out to be a really good movie. Um, anyway, my some of my favorite moments of Return of the Jedi are I really like it when um, we first meet the Ewoks, especially Wicket, with his cuteness. Um, even though they um, captured Luke, Han, Chewie, 3PO, and R2. Um... They are still, like, really strong and cute, Um, especially when one of the Ewoks um, hugged Han 
his leg and then just gave him a normal hug, like a big, like, welcome to the tribe hug. Um, even though they held Luke, Han, Chewie, 3PO, and R2 as captive, um, they, I mean, they were just kind of trying to protect themselves because it's in their nature. Um, and then I also like when um, Luke brings Vader back because, like, when we first meet him in A New Hope, he doesn't seem like um, the kindest character because he's really mean. Um, he doesn't show mercy. Um, he's kind of vicious. Um, and just... He's not a nice guy, um, but when we find out that he's Luke's father and Anakin Skywalker, that um, probably gave a lot of people a shock, and it gave me a shock when I first saw the movies, because, like, you wouldn't expect such a, like, really kind guy to have a father that's, like, really mean and does bad stuff. And, like, when he brings him back, it really shows um, that he wasn't all bad. Because um, for a while, he was a kind person. Um, and then my last favorite would be the last time we see Yoda. And Yoda explaining that Darth Vader really is Luke's father. Because, um... It may be the last time we see him in the original six, but um, when he went away, it was kind of really shocking. But um, he died with purpose, just like Luke did. Um, anyway, I think you guys do a great job on the show. You always make me and my dad laugh. Hey, Jason and Gabe. This is Brandon from Talking Bay 94. I just wanted to drop a quick note about my favorite moment in Return of the Jedi, which is actually my favorite moment in all of Star Wars. Um, it actually happens at the end of the movie, um, you know, very famous scene when Luke, you know, turns to the Emperor and says, um, I am a Jedi like my father before me. And in between I'm a Jedi and like my father before me, he does this little head tilt, a, a quick nod, kind of uh, directing back to his father. And for some reason, that is just my favorite moment in Star Wars period. And he's like out of breath and he's panting. And um, I just I just find it so integral to Luke's character and, and kind of the whole Skywalker saga. And I remember when people were talking about in the lead up to The Last Jedi about like, would Luke turn evil um, will he turn to the dark side? I would always go back to that scene. Um, and really, to me, that's who Luke is. So um, that's why I love Return of the Jedi, um, if not just because of the Ewoks and Jabba's Palace aliens. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, keep up the great work. We'll talk soon. And may the Force be with you. Hey, Jason and Gabe. Um I saw that you put out the tweet wanting to know what we love about Return of the Jedi. And I have to say that my favorite person in Return of the Jedi 
has to be salacious B. Crumb entertainer extraordinaire. Before this movie, we did not have such a hero to rally behind. And um, even though he may have been lost on Jabba's sail barge that day, he is iconic. And I know a lot of people hate him. A lot of people think he's annoying, but come on. He is unapologetically himself. He laughs like nobody's listening. He dances like nobody's watching. And he kept Jabba entertained for a solid... Hey. He kept Jabba entertained for over 12 years. Come on. Salacious B. Crumb is an icon. And thank you, George Lucas and Return of the Jedi, for making that a thing. Anyway, I'm really excited to listen to your Return of the Jedi month. I'm... So pumped that uh, you're doing an episode on the creatures because that's the best part of all of Star Wars and Return of the Jedi just killed it in the creature shop. Anyway, uh, may the force be with you guys and uh, thanks for listening to my voicemail. Bye. Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. So, why do I love Return of the Jedi. Well, it was the first movie I ever saw in a theater. It was a birthday gift from my parents to me. It was a giant experience for a very tiny person who had an entire universe swirling in his head thanks to the images of George Lucas and the music John Williams. tiny person who used to make Star Wars toys that his parents couldn't afford out of toilet paper tubes and cardboard boxes and knockoff Lego who used to run down the hall to his bedroom flying these rickety approximations of X-wings in one hand, one eye closed, and the other squinted half shut so the wood paneling flying by would get the appropriate motion blur. This is the story of Return of the Jedi. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. A very tiny person who would quote lines from a movie he hadn't seen yet because he essentially stole the read-along cassette from the local library and fell asleep to it every other night. A tiny person who, when the curtain opened that December night in the second-run theater outside of Salem, Oregon, had his world opened up in a way he would never forget. Because it's one thing to read along in your book and turn the page when R2's whistling at you, and it's another to have your entire field of vision filled with this. Fighters coming in. And this. Quick, jam their like better quick. Uh, and this. When 900 years old you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? Aw, and this. Run, oh gosh. Master Luke at Chimney to do. Oh, and this. <laughs> what the? In this. Red group, gold group, all fighters follow me. <laughs> I told you they'd do it. <laughs> and this. 
I mean, yeah, it's got problems. It's not a great movie. And I'm not going to say that doesn't matter, because it does. But I will say that its greatness as a film doesn't really factor into why I love it. Because I do love it. It's a movie about love and what love can do. How it can give you the strength to do the right thing. And why love, as strong as it is, needs to be nurtured to be tended to, to be practiced. I love that Luke Skywalker loves the Empire to death. Leave me? No, you're coming with me. I'll not leave you here. I've got to save you. You are ready. Luke, you are right. You are right about me. I love that Leia loves Han back to life. Who are you? Someone who loves you. Well. I gotta get you out of here. I love that the Ewoks really are just cuddling, giving, generous, murderous teddy bears, but brave, loving murder bears, and that because of them, when the trilogy irised out in 1983 on Luke, Leia, Han, Lando, 3PO, Chewie, and R2, all in the same shot for one last time, the last time, the music those bears were making was literally telling us, in harmony, in unison, to celebrate the love. Basically, don't kill people and be compassionate and love people. And so that's basically all Star Wars is. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So iTunes reviews, you know, we say it every single week. When you're done listening to this episode, head over to iTunes, write a little something, and we'll read it on an upcoming show. And don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you sign up for the Blast Points Super Chill group, where you can talk to other Blast Points aficionados super fans listeners crazies it's always good stuff going on there and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen and help us spread the word about blast points tell your friends to listen tell your mailman tell the old woman at the camera shop with the weird alien voice tell her to listen to blast points if you see someone with a return of the jedi shirt walking down your street run out of the house hey it's return of the jedi month on blast points 
Check it out. So next week is going to be week four in Return of the Jedi Month. And, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen in week four. I bet you it has something to do with Return of the Jedi. Tune in for that one. But that wraps up episode 136, The Sounds of Return of the Jedi. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. make noises tonight Uh, mm, may the force be with all of you